because this radicalization process can happen anywhere, especially in Winnipeg, um, compounding what Orko talked about with Master Corporal. Yeah, Patrick Matthews in the Canadian military, who was a Manitoban who you know, became radicalized towards this very intense sect of you know, white supremacy. It's pretty eye-opening, as well as uh, another local case of Aaron Driver, who was a Winnipegger who joined ISIS and actually attempted to carry out a terrorist attack in Ontario. And people just really don't understand that this can happen anywhere. And it kind of blows your mind to think that this happens in a city like Winnipeg, where you know the mentality or the idea is that well, nothing ever interesting happens here. But uh, yeah, for me, it was the case that radicalization permeates society and everywhere. Thanks for listening to Because Radio. I'm Sunny Promolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg. This week, I'm with Alok Fontaine-Richardson, Caden Lee, and Yagmur Urko, co-founders of Realize Radicalization, an organization founded in 2019 by five University of Winnipeg students to help educate Winnipeg students about extreme ideologies with stories from those who have encountered extreme ideologies in their communities. Thanks for joining us on Because Radio. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Let's start from the beginning. How did Realize Radicalization come to be? The one thing we all have in common is we're all in a global terrorism course last semester and so within the course there is a um, opportunity to do a project called a peer-to-peer project and the professor had us work on that so basically everyone in the class had to come up with an idea and then uh, the class would vote on which idea should go forward and be entered into the actual peer-to-peer project hosted by um, Facebook and Adventures and uh, yeah that's basically how we began. Why was it important for you to create Realize Radicalization? Because radicalization, although a fairly uh, new phenomena, has uh, taken uh, Western society from a point where uh, individuals our age, especially our target audience, adolescents from 14 all the way to 27, we see them finding solace in online content where, uh, based on our research, we feel the process takes place based on the content that they're looking up, that they find association with, and the individuals that condition youth towards radicalization, towards these topics. They're creating a foundation through these youth to further their cause. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, Patrick Matthews case. Patrick Matthews was recruiting for a group called The Base, and he did it online, and um, groups like The Base, they target individuals with some paramilitary experiences who lean towards you know, extreme ideologies and uh, to have something like that starting up in Winnipeg and personally for someone like me I'm in the Canadian Armed Forces myself and I've experienced working with Matthews and I, I know his brother as well so knowing someone who's perpetrating those sort of ideologies you know it, it strikes home right it makes you think how can someone like this perpetrate something as radical as you know white supremacism because I'm a proud Winnipegger, and I see mostly on the news the only thing we hear about Winnipeg is our crime rate, poverty, and other unfortunate things that are happening. And they're legitimate for sure, but we also wanted to create something positive in Winnipeg because we're an organization we hope to expand. We want to remind other Canadians that Winnipeg has a lot more to offer than beyond just like the negative news it gets, that there's a lot of resilience and positivity within the city. And another reason for me is because I'm from an indigenous background and that's kind of a very marginalized group so I could kind of relate to why some young people are turning towards radicalization not that I ever would but that people feel very alienated by society so I just wanted to kind of create a group community really where people would feel connected with one another. Because this radicalization process can happen anywhere especially in Winnipeg um, compounding what Orko talked about with Master Corporal 
yeah, Patrick Matthews in the Canadian military who was a Manitoban who, you know, became radicalized towards this very intense sect of, you know, white supremacy is pretty eye-opening, as well as uh, another local case of Aaron Driver, who was a Winnipegger who joined ISIS and actually attempted to carry out a terrorist attack in Ontario. And people just really don't understand that this can happen anywhere. And it kind of blows your mind to think that this happens in a city like Winnipeg, where, you know, the mentality or the idea is that, well, nothing ever interesting happens here. But uh, yeah, for me, it was the case that radicalization permeates society and everywhere. Let's talk about the group itself. What have you accomplished so far? Our essential goal was create awareness within the Manitoba public of radicalization, how it occurs, of groups that are attempting to radicalize people and how people actually become radicalized. So we started by going out to a couple of local high schools and we gave presentations to students about the push-pull factors, so the grievances that people might feel that kind of push them towards these radical ideas or these radical ideologies. And, you know, it's something as simple as, you know, someone who's bullied and might feel isolated. Or uh, you have the aspect of the person who feels like uh, they're getting pushed down by society or that your group is under threat. And so what these organizations do is offer these individuals a sort of sense of belonging or a sense of purpose. And I think that's the main aspect is the education and how or educating the public on how this truly can happen anywhere because everyone within their life will feel some type of grievance that these groups are willing to capitalize on. Um, I think the other aspect too, uh, we try to do outreach. Mm-hmm. So to compound on the educational aspect, we, we gave a couple podcast interviews, which was really interesting. Um, we did a lot of networking with the community. So we met a lot of uh, community partners. We met some officers within the WPS, um, uh, we met researchers, um, the UNESCO Schools Manitoba to try and put this into a curriculum and sort of teach this to younger people, to the younger generation to understand what was going on. So the main aspect was education and prevention. What would you say you've learned so far from these interactions? I think uh, something that was surprising for me is that there's a surprising lack of education about this issue, especially formally within uh, the Winnipeg School Board. Like we were talking to some teachers and some principals and mm-hmm. they were saying, oh, we actually don't have any information. We, d- we don't know what these terms mean and we, we don't even understand how to spot like any potential radicalization occurring in our students. So I think that was one of the surprising aspects for us and something that we wanted to do was integrate with curriculum to kind of create more awareness of radicalization, especially because it's been so often dismissed in Winnipeg because it's not big news. Can you share one of those stories with yeah, us? Yeah. One of those individuals at age 30, he left Winnipeg to go join this radical group. And the one question is why, you know, what was he missing in life that pushed him to that point? And the one thing we're finding in common with a lot of these people who join these extreme groups is purpose. So with Freedom Mom, his main purpose was actually a spiritual purpose that he found when he was a bit older. So he found that in a really radical sect of Islam known as Salafism. And within that, that pushed him to leave Manitoba and to go join a, a radical group. So that was one thing that piqued my interest. And the other aspect was, was Aaron Driver. So more familiar with the Aaron Driver case, but I believe he moved to Winnipeg in 2011. Uh, he had kind of a you know, tougher situation with his, his dad, apparently. There were some issues there, and uh, you know, tougher life circumstances. When he was 17, he got his girlfriend pregnant, and unfortunately the child passed away um, before birth or in birth. And in 2011, he, he starts becoming sort of you know, more radicalized, and then in 2015, he's living in Ontario, 
and he's going to go carry out a terrorist attack in a busy urban center near uh, Strathroy, Ontario. And, you know, how does that happen? How does that happen to a kid from Saskatchewan who moves to Winnipeg and lives here for three years? Somebody we spoke to actually had taught Aaron Driver. And I think what jumped out at us is that um, Aaron was apparently a really typical student and actually really nice guy and didn't seem like he was, you know, extremely introverted or, you know, had violent tendencies. So I think that kind of just speaks to the fact that this really can happen to anyone and that you need to be as well informed about radicalization as possible so you can see any warning signs because obviously the teacher said she had no idea about radicalization really and obviously she couldn't spot any signs within Aaron, if any, if there was any. Based Based on some of the, uh, I guess, seminars that you had with the students at different schools, what was some of the feedback? This one question by one of the uh, students from other schools piqued our interest. He asked if bullying was one of the causes for radicalization, and um, you know th- that took us by surprise since uh, you know we were still fairly new to the game. Um, we were trying to figure out, you know, uh, what are the other uh, factors that lead to radicalization, and it never occurred to us that bullying is a contributing factor. The more we looked into it, the more it made sense, the more you know, we were able to connect the dots that uh, bullying leads adolescents, drives them to find solace in the online world. Looked into uh, you know, websites like 4chan, a more um, unfiltered version of Reddit. There are certain categories on uh, 4chan that you know, has racist, sexist, xenophobic content that condition these individuals to make otherwise, you know, make them adopt these ideologies. So uh, I'd say bullying is quite a uh, quite a factor that drives individuals. Yeah, that's the one thing that, you know, throughout the process that I found the most interesting that if, you know, someone cannot get a community in person or they can't get that sense of belonging, they'll always go to the internet for it. And over time, they'll go to darker areas of the internet to get information and to find a group of communities. So if you're looking on like, you know, various other websites kind of known for being extremely vulgar and, you know, bad, you notice a weird, weird sense of community among the members, but it's, it's within to describe it it's it's sort of it's it begins as a joke right so so what they're saying is essentially oh well this is really racist and you know well, ha 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 it's a joke but then it actually develops into an actual you know a hatred and that's that's the interesting aspect because that's the beginning radicalization process for a lot of these individuals they'll just continuously go to darker darker areas of the internet they'll find darker groups and then next thing you know they have that sense of belonging and they're basically full-fledged radicals and carrying out this violent ideology or are willing to carry it out. Um, just to talk a bit more also about um, our meetings with students, what we found is the reaction was, I would say, overwhelmingly positive to what we were doing because I think they were, weren't really used to like young people giving these sort of presentations. A lot of times uh, presentations can be very academic and very heady for people and they don't really, it's kind of like disengages them. But us, we're, we're young people ourselves and we really, th- I think we engaged really well with the youth and we also used like social media a lot. That was a main part of our campaign, one of the main aspects of it. So that really connected with the youth. Um, we did giveaways that got people really excited. Like there was people chatting in classes and stuff, like looking at our page and we just piqued their interest. And then from there, maybe we'll change one life or many, we don't know, but even one person that went to our page could potentially save a life. Part of the reason why I realized radicalization started was because of this peer-to-peer Facebook Global Digital Challenge. Can you explain what exactly that is and why you wanted to be a part of that? Yeah, so uh, it all started off as a class project, right? Uh, we, <laughs> at first, uh, had uh, you know no idea what we were getting ourselves into. Um, 
And then we looked at previous winners and the ideas that they came up with and their uh, forms of community outreach. And, and the more we developed our ideas, the more we looked into our, our competition. And so there's around uh, 28 or so universities throughout the world that were participating in this competition, sponsored by Adventure Partners and uh, Facebook. And basically, there's a bunch of guidelines for these uh, universities to uh, follow. And we also tried to see how we can be unique and how we can stand out from the competition to uh, not only further our cause, but to gain traction and the intention of the uh, competition. And throughout the process, we found out that this is more than competition. This is a movement in our own way, right? We, we are trying to get the message out about you know, radicalization and uh, how the whole process takes place from the youth and up. I think another kind of interesting thing about our position or why we chose you know, radicalization, is it kind of truly is a, a Winnipeg thing because this came when we were having dinner at Stella's one evening and we were trying to brainstorm you know, how do we go forward? How do we, you know, put together a good project to implement for the P2P? And I forget who it was, but someone referenced a Winnipeg Free Press article written on Aaron Driver, and it said, we failed Aaron Driver. And then the question was asked, well, are there any, you know, government initiatives or any, you know, non-for-profit resources available to deal with people in this situation? And in Canada, we have one in Montreal known as the Center for the Prevention of Radicalization Leading to Violence, which is very big. Another couple in Edmonton, too. And I automatically assumed, of course, there's one in Winnipeg. There has to be a government initiative doing this. This is a serious problem. And we came to the realization that there actually wasn't. So that's, uh, I think this was a really Winnipeg-centered idea that you know, we, we thought that a program like this should exist in Winnipeg to help someone like Aaron Driver and prevent them. Let's talk a little bit about your campaign. What did you want to focus on? Yeah, so a lot of it was, was on outreach. So a big aspect was reaching as many people as possible. So through Facebook, I believe we were able to reach around forty to 50,000 people. A cool aspect about the challenge is they gave you a $1,000 budget to spend how you pleased. And basically the main uh, reasoning for that was to, to generate outreach and you know, self-promotion. Um, they also gave you $750 US of Facebook ad credits, which you could use to sponsor your ads on Facebook and Instagram. So that was another way we were able to be effective and outreach. So the main aspect of the competition was outreach. The aspect we went with was creating awareness, which was done through the outreach, through seminars, through presentations. And then the other aspect was network building. So we actually wanted to come out of this and be sustainable. We wanted to have an idea that had legs to go forward. And the only way we do that is working together with you know various Manitoba and Winnipeg-based organizations, um, government services including national services too. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get in contact with the Center for Prevention of Radicalization Leading to Violence in Montreal and um, you know, various other researchers within counterterrorism and within counter-radicalization. So uh, yeah, I would say our, our main emphasis within the project, within our submission was we're sustainable. We actually have an idea that can go forward and we have partners who are willing to work with us to create awareness. Our organization also partnered with Christian Piccolini, Piccolini, so clearly I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, anyways, he was a former white supremacist, and then he kind of changed his life around and de-radicalized, and uh, he's even been featured um, on a TED Talk. And uh, basically, we partnered with him, and he has an organization called Free Radicals that basically attempts to engage with people who are kind of caught up in um, extremist movements and show them there's a different path and there's alternatives and they don't really have to go down further down the rabbit hole. So he was really willing to work with us and we even redirected someone on our Facebook comments 
who was really talking really like kind of dangerous ideology and veering into extremism and talking about shooting people and this kind of violent things and we managed to successfully redirect him to Christian and uh, I don't know what the outcome was but I think it was more positive than if he had just been left unfiltered in the comments just kind of making his own echo chamber which we're trying to combat. We'd like to uh, get local uh, politicians involved. Uh, We also met with uh, Dougal Lomos and a big part of what we're doing is you know trying to get the awareness of this topic but having uh, certain stakeholders get the word out over the overall message um, and and the influence that we don't have and just their provision of the influence goes many ways into uh, furthering our cause and eventually we will also be meeting up with uh, NDP leader Wap Canoe to discuss this uh, issue as well. Yeah I I think the one thing that was really exciting throughout the process when we were involved with the competition just starting the group is just to see the level of excitement of educators, researchers, and, and politicians that we, we spoke to regarding the topic and, you know, people understanding that, you know, this is a need, this is an area to be filled. So we were, we were really appreciative of, of all the support we received throughout the competition and we continue to receive today. So The peer-to-peer challenge has been around for a few years now, but it's much more bigger than just this challenge. So what's the next steps for Realize Radicalization? Initially, when we started this, we were really caught up Um, I guess a bit in just making the challenge and stuff but I think as we went on and started talking to more educators and um, other uh, leaders um, community leaders we started to realize that there was a huge vacuum for this and that we needed to fill that vacuum because I think it's really integral that we reach as many people as possible. So uh, as we went on, we realized that like we were so much bigger than the competition really. Like as uh, Orko mentioned earlier, we're kind of like a movement. I think we're doing a bit more. I mean, the competition was great, but that, that really at the end of the day was just like a Kickstarter for us to continue with this. And I think all of us have really found real purpose with this organization and we feel like we're seeing like real results. Like even we're just helping one person and we've really helped uh, realize our goal, I think. Thank you, Alok, Kaden, and Yagmur for sharing your story of impact. For those looking to learn more about Realize Radicalization, where can they go and is there anything else that you would like to add? We have our Facebook page um, at Realize Radicalization, R-E-A-L-I-Z-E, Radicalization, R-A-D-I-C-A-L-I-Z-A-T-I-O-N. Um, we also have our Instagram page at Realized Radicalization. We also have a Twitter at Realized Radicals. And we also have a web page up at realizedradicalization.org. And there's stories of the uh, radicalized individuals and uh, what led them to that to that path and what what has happened to them. I'd like to say that our Instagram page was our most active area. Our website's kind of still in its infancy. We're going to be adding a lot more content material to it. Going forward, I think we'd like to make posts about you know stories of radicalizations, uh, stories of terrorism to kind of let the public know that this can happen anywhere and that it does happen quite frequently. Uh, we want to get you know get interviews with people who have been affected by radicalization and we'd like to work with stakeholders to you know build a really effective preventative measure to to stop radicalization from occurring within our community and hopefully elsewhere. This is just the beginning for us. We have so much more yet to come, and we just also want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to share our story with more people. We really appreciate the work that your organization is doing, and yeah, we just feel honored that we get to be included among the likes of so many other important Winnipeggers. 
Thank you all. If you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city, message us on social media by searching the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN or reach out and call us at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. We'd love to hear about it. This is Sunny Promola, and you're listening to Because Radio. Thank you.